Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, all you jazz babies and darlings and wonders of the World Wide Web. Welcome to Broadway Breakdown. I am Matt Koplick. Uh, today with me is a dear, dear, dear old, old, old friend. He's just as big of a theater nerd as I am. I wouldn't say as angry about it as I am, but just as passionate. Uh, please welcome to the pod. Uh, my dear friend, Adam Ellsbury. How, Hello. Uh, hi, Adam. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming back. Um, Adam, <laughs> Adam is uh, joining me today to break down a decades-long debate, 20 years exactly, uh, the, the greatest debate in theater of this century, which is... Which wild party is better? The Michael John LaCusa, George C. Wolf version or the Andrew Lippa version? Um, is that your full- chat room girl voice? That's my chat room girl voice. That's, act- that's actually my, ch- I have two voices. I have my chat room gay voice, which is what I just did. My like, oh. my, my little Betsy voice. Mm. Right. And then I have my jaded gay, which is the, you know, which version is better? It's just... <laughs> It's just a male May West. So I say welcome back because full disclosure, I had Adam come on yesterday when we recorded this uh, to true. to settle the great debate of which wild party is officially better. Because every year or every two years, it always comes up somewhere in the internet. Uh, Broadway World is the message boards that I'm always trolling and somebody posted it a couple of days ago. And you know, it's the same old story. Somebody has their favorite, somebody has their favorite. And everybody tries to make a case for theirs, but no one ever really tries to go into the nitty gritty and really kind of delve into what either show is trying to do and you know how they succeed and fail. And I had Adam come on and we talked about it and it was lovely, it went on for a long time. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm gonna cut this down. I'm gonna make this one you know, semi long episode. And I was listening to it and I was like, this is so inside baseball because Adam and I were trying to cover absolutely everything in like as short a period of time as possible. And when we kiki about theater, like our brain just, you guys know me and you know, John, like we go on tangents all the time. 
Adam is like me and John combined. So it's like, it's, it, was, it, was a, it was a combustion of tangents, all relevant, all relevant, but just like the train went off the rails and I was like, I'm having a blast listening to this. I don't know who actually would. Oh yeah, we were, we were taking sidecars. We were taking cabooses. We were on every, on every scope of that rail. It was... we, were both, we were both on the express route and the scenic route, like at the same time. And, Hills and valleys, babe. And it was lovely, mm-hmm. but I was like, it, for anybody who isn't really aware of either version, or even if you're, even if you're only really aware of one version, like it, it was just simply too inside baseball. And so and I- A little chaotic. A little chaotic. Which, which honestly, is appropriate. It's appropriate considering the subject matter. Right. Uh, so I asked him to come back for a redo because I've, I've decided right here, right now, for the first time in Breakdown Herstory, we're going to have a two-parter of an episode. Snap, snap, yes. snap. Because I want to do justice to both versions of Wild Party and not like shortchange what they're about, what they do, the songs, the characters, the moments. Uh, and I don't want to uh, have to continue to re-explain something for people if they don't know it. So this first part episode is going to be a brief rundown on the history of both versions your, and their original productions, how they were received, as well as like a kind of run down, run through, run through, like, like, a, like a performance run through of, of both versions, sort of from first song to last song. Not super long, but you know, enough so that way you know what we're talking about when we analyze them. Then part two is us objectively analyzing both and coming up with a firm decision on which one is better. So if you do know both versions, you can skip right ahead to part two. Um, I mean, if you want. I mean, I'm just saying like it is, we are in the upside down and we have nothing but time. So like, (laughs) it's true. (laughs) <laughs> take just like take the time for two parts uh having recorded this once already with adam i can tell you it's going to be fun we're fun we're fun bitches i mean the number of podcasts that i've listened to where people talk about a movie that i've watched a million times i'm like i know the synopsis but i'll still listen to somebody else say it who knows there's a whole episode of how did this get made i think it's about teen witch it's like two and a half hours long and i've seen teen witch so many times but i, I listen to all of it um so like yeah no i would say listen to both but if you are if you truly are like, my time is precious. First of all, congratulations. You are so special. Listen, if you've got stuff to do right now, I am jealous because I'm daily trying to find things to fill every hour of the day because I got nothing. So Truly why you agreed to come back and re-record today. Oh yeah, you said, when do you, when do you have free time? And I was like, well, what time is it? Because... <laughs> I could really go right now if you need me to. <laughs> I mean, I really was doing you a favor. Full disclosure, before we get into how we got introduced to these and the history of everything, Adam and I both are bigger fans of the Lacuse version. Truth. However, that does not necessarily mean we are going to be um, biased in our analyzation. We are... We are truly, is analyzation a word? Did I make that up? No, it's a word. Okay, great. You know, sometimes like (laughs) something sounds real and it sounds good. Right. I mean, I've said it at some point. So if it's not a word, then we've both made it up. So. I mean, sometimes there are just bridges. There are bridges you crossed. You didn't know you crossed until you crossed. Mm -hmm. Let us rejoiceify. So it's. 
No, going back and revisiting all of both of these shows at the same time, because I don't think I've ever done a side by side with them. Same. I sort of I sort of had like a moment where I've really like gone deep into one and then like listened to the other, but not like to really yeah. sit down and, and compare them. So it's so doing this has actually made me look at both of them with a little bit more of an analytical eye than I probably had before instead of just like a visceral I love this one like yes. this is the one that does it for me um so you know it's 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 actually been great to revisit um just because I don't know yeah and it's, it's fun to it's fun to analyze it's fun it, who doesn't love digging deep but to quote to quote Uma Thurman on Smash I'm here to dig deep mm. saying something's your favorite people mistake saying favorite for what they think is best so when someone says like what's your favorite movie what's your favorite play musical whatever you're not necessarily saying that you think it's the one that's the best of everything it's just the one that you gravitate towards the most right like 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 there are books that i reread all the time because it's just it's easy to do and i'm always invested and just it's a chemical reaction it's not me sitting down and like making a pro and con list and saying i've objectively decided this one's the best and thus it is my favorite Oh, for sure. I mean, how many times are you like, this is my favorite movie to watch when I'm cleaning the house or, you know, there's, it's, you know, there's, there's qualifiers involved. Just because I do uh, crunches to Dead Girl Walking from Heathers does not mean I think Dead Girl Walking is a better song than Send in the Clowns. Just one is not the song you do crunches to. Everyone who listens to this pod knows I'm an opinionated asshole and thus like, I make my opinions known. And you might ask yourself, hey, Matt, uh, if you really wanted this to be even and level and truly a debate, wouldn't you have brought on a gay who was more into the Lipa version so it could be more balanced out? Yes, I could have. But first of all, go fuck yourself. I'm not going to do that. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow color. You're the top. You're a Coolidge dollar. What is the Wild Party? What is it based off of, and what's it about, Adam? Oh, I'm t- I'm I'm You're telling a story. story. Oh my yeah. god! All right. Well, um, the Wild Party is a is is based on a poem from the uh, late 1920s. Um, you're gonna have to tell me the name of the author because I'm blanking. Oh no, what is his name? Something March. Um, oh wait, uh, Joseph uh, Mon- Joseph Moncure March is his name. Yes, was the name of the original uh, poet. Um, so it's a, it's a sort of scandalous poem of the late twenties, uh, that focuses around a, um, a, a couple who are sort of bottom of the barrel performers. Uh, one is a, uh, Corrine and the other is a clown. Um, they have a very tumultuous relationship and for one reason or another decide that they're going to invite all their friends over for, uh, a sort of scandalous fun party um, uh, that the apartment is filled with all sorts of um, riffraff, I guess we could say, mm-hmm. like, like performing type riffraff mm-hmm. um, over the course of the evening. Um, everything sort of comes to blows when Queenie's best friend Kate shows up with a gentleman on her arm uh, who over the course of the evening Queenie falls for, ends up um, in bed with, and uh, Burr's, the, her, her clown boyfriend, freaks out and ends up uh, having a tussle with the boyfriend, Black, and a gun, and ends up getting shot. Yes. That's, I think that's pretty much it. Isn't that, that, is, isn't that, that in is that nutshell? That is very much it. 
it is and it's quite a long poem considering how thin the plot is it's because it is sort of just like a series of pieces that you were that you were told about the party it's all told obviously in in third person and it has, you know, what is now a very famous opening, which is Queenie, who's the main character. Queenie was a blonde and her age stood still and she danced twice a day in vaudeville. And the poem was scandalous at the time because it was really kind of this expose of the dark side of New York City, of the jazz age, of the entertainment industry. You know, these people- And we're still in the middle of prohibition. Yeah, and it was right before the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. So America was- going through this, you know, everything is free and easy. Everything's amazing. You know, the money is flowing. Champagne is flowing. Or I, I guess prohibition was happening. So it wasn't flowing. Bathtub, but behind, bathtub yeah, gin was flowing. Bathtub gin, yes. Behind closed doors, it was flowing. Right. And this idea that everything is wonderful. And that, that mentality had kind of continued in pop culture for many a decade. It, you don't see many works in the first couple of decades of like movies and theater that really discuss the dark underbelly of it all. You have some like all about Eve, which talks about the ageism with women in the industry, mm-hmm. but it doesn't go as deep as say the wild party does, which has um, homosexuality and domestic violence and attempted rape. And just a lot of subject matter that people either never knew existed or were uncomfortable talking about. And it's a, we read about we read the poem today and it seems almost tame because it is you know rhyming couplets and it's very kind of point by point charles isherwood in his review for the andrew lippa version called the poem dr seuss on the sauce which i think is brilliant pretty good yeah and it famously was banned in boston when it came out yeah and so both versions are based off of this lacusa started writing his around 97 because he uh, got a year-long residency with the public theater where George C. Wolfe was artistic director and, you know, said, we will pay you to write something. And he decided he was going to do Wild Party, which is important to remember be, uh, because the public theater ended up producing the Wild Party on Broadway. It was a very scandalous thing because the public theater is a nonprofit off-Broadway theater. And in the past, anything they'd ever had on Broadway was a transfer. This was the first show they ever had that, like, was directly opening on Broadway. Right. Whereas Lippa's started about a year or two earlier, was in constant readings, did a workshop with uh, Eugene O'Neill Center, and then premiered that same year uh, with Manhattan Theater Club, which is why people often talk about the two and compare them, not just because they're based on the same source material, but because they opened in the same year in Within New York City. Within months of each other. Within months of each other. One off Broadway, one on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And... Before we get really truly into it, I just want to say, art is subjective. Nothing is good or bad by fact. It's all about how you perceive it, where you are in your journey in life when you come upon it, how you process it, and truly everything is up for debate. Now, with that out in the open, take everything I just said and throw it out the fucking window because we are going to compare art. (laughs) Um, And this is perhaps truly the only time I can think of where it makes sense to do so because it is the same source material. It's the same plot. It's the same title. And it's truly how two different artists approach the exact same material. Mm -hmm. And so you can look at the two side by side and go, which one 
is more compelling, which one's more effective, which one uh, makes more sense, which one's truer to the source material, yada, yada, yada. Well, and not only that, just the fact that they were both adapted around the same time. It's mm-hmm. not like, we're, it's not like, you know, comparing something that was adapted, you know, in 1975 and then 20 years later, somebody did it and you're, and you're, and you're trying to compare it. These were both written within the same time in, you know, in, in, in actual, you know, life timeline history too. Yeah. How so they're, they're living in the same time period in New York with a sit with a similar with similar surroundings, I guess I would say. So now let's get into like the nitty gritty with both versions. We have sure. the uh, Andrew Lippa version, which once again premiered with Manhattan Theater Club uh, in February of 2000. And was the rumor was that it was going to probably go directly to Broadway. I was reading some articles with the New York Times, New York Post, and the basic understanding was Footloose at the Richard Rogers was uh, starting to lag. And if they could convince the Nederlanders, like it was going to move to the Richard Rogers in May, right before the Tony deadline and probably run for a limited time or move to another theater, depending how well it did. Cause Susical was already planning on coming in, in the fall and which huh, we saw how that went, but what ended up happening was the reviews were very mixed with really only Clive Barnes, the New York post liking it. Everyone else was kind of like, it just, it's very safe. They were, being compared to the revival of Cabaret that had just come out because the aesthetics seemed very similar and everybody would just sort of said, this isn't really it. Right. Lots of eyeliner and garter belts. Yes, 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 yes. And then also like lots of high belting, which is again, something we'll come back to, but you know, there was a lot of, there was a, it was seemed to be like almost an underdog at the time because the Broadway version had even greater star power and had more money behind it and was considered, you know, and Michael John Lacusa was more prominent in the community than Andrew Lippa was. Andrew Lippa had had some stuff. He had John and Jen and he wrote some stuff for Charlie Brown for the revival, but like Lacusa had just had Marie Christine, which granted like did not do super well, but it was his first Broadway show. He had Hello Again by this point. He had First Lady Suite. So like he was known and was considered uh, a strong voice for future songwriters. Mm-hmm. So there was a for lot sure. riding on this. And, and then George C. Wolf, who is iconic. Um, who, who wrote, to say the least. To say the least, who co-wrote it and directed it. And we'll get into sort of his influence on that wild party as well. But so going into casting wise, we have Lippas, which do you want to, do you remember the Run list? Run down the people? list? Yes. Sure. Um, so, um, so, <laughs> so for the, so for the main characters in the Lippa version, um, for Queenie, we've got Julia Murney, Brian Darcy James is playing Burrs, Tay Diggs is playing Black, we've got Adina Menzel as Kate, and then, you know, the rest of the cast includes tons of people who you still see just all the time. Lawrence Kegwin uh, was featured as um, as Jackie. Um, now he has a dance company of his own that's really Slay. prominent. I know, crazy. Uh, but Kevin Cahoon, Jennifer Cody, Alex Corey, Felicia Finley, just Megan Sakura, people who I think are maybe more recognizable now than they might have been at the time. Yeah. But, but it, our- uh, an incredible... A, an incredibly um, vibrant group of people. Yes. A lot of mainstays of the community. If you mm-hmm. don't, also, if you don't know who Alex Corey is, and I have a feeling some of the listeners don't know who she is, try to find the 1980 Pirates of Penzance cast recording, the one that Kevin Klein and Linda Ronstadt. She plays the second lead sister. Like, so, like, Linda Ronstadt's the sister. She's the ingenue. But her, 
her other sister, who's like the other leader, is played by Alex Corey. And all you need to do is listen to Climbing Over Rocky Mountain, which first of all, that arrangement slaps. Second of all, um, I'm, lo- I'm obsessed with the synthesizers and xylophones. But Alex and the trombone and the trombone, but Alex Corey, Alex Corey fully has like this lovely lilting soprano for a second. It's like let us gaily tread the measure, and then comes back with a hard belt of every moment brings a treasure. Yes. It's it's, oh, it's so good. She goes she, from a lovely mezzo moment to just full on belting. It's it's pretty it, amazing. Absolutely, and like from the throat with. The healthiest of, of vibratos. I'm obsessed. Look there, into her. She's it's great. on. Um, it, it is on Spotify and Apple Music. If you and, have one or a, other of either of those platforms. Yes. And there's also a video of that production when it was still at the Delacorte before it moved to Broadway. It's yes. on YouTube. The whole thing, mm-hmm. and you can see her because her comedic timing is great. The whole reason she goes into the belt is the sisters like interrupt her kind of with um right. or like a call. So it's in the music, like it's a call and response. We're also getting so off topic, but fuck it. I'll take a moment to acknowledge Alex Corey. Uh, the sisters have their call and response was the and she like she like stomps her foot or she like slaps her fan or something like that to kind of shut them up sort of like this is my moment and so and in order to be like this is my moment bitch it's like her her natalie portman black swan it's my turn makes her like as a character she then goes into the belt because she's like doing the lilty's mezzo soprano thing and then she gets interrupted and she's like bitches belt she's like right. i'm angry now because my moment has been ruined right <laughs> okay so it's yeah. great also increasing my love for linda ronstadt whose voice i'm convinced could just do anything at that point but you know what linda ronstadt wasn't in the broadway cast of the wild party which is the cast right. list i want to get to next yeah. um so if you thought that the lipa wild party had a phenomenal cast kid check out this broadway cast of the wild party well, no, and, and, and well, and I'll quickly say, as far as the Lippo one goes, it's it, it, it veered a lot younger, mm-hmm. where the Lacusa version, I would say, is a def- definitely a broader um, spectrum of, of age. Of age and, and race and sizes and vocal type and acting type. It was, so we'll get, so yes, just a five second like recourse. As I said, the Lippo version was met with sort of mixed reviews. The Lacusa version was met with wildly varied reviews. Uh, some were huge raves, like uh, Isherwood and Variety loved it. But one of my favorite quotes is the Observer in London called it a, and this was a positive review, called it a lunatic kamikaze attack on Disney. <laughs> Which I think is like, if you were to sum up that at the Lacusa Wild Party in one fell soup, that would be it. Um, but then you also had John Simon, who thought it was like the biggest disaster to hit Broadway in years. And uh, Ben Branley in The Times, he described it as the Lipa version was a party with no personality, whereas the Lacusa version was a parade of personalities with no party. So basically saying while the Lacusa one had more distinguishable talent and ideas, the Lipa one was more enjoyable. Uh, even if he didn't think it was all that interesting. So that is something to remember as we come back to an an analysis. So who's in this cast for Lacusa, Adam? All right. The Lacusa cast, we've got starting off, as we've already mentioned, with my gal, fuck you, Tony Collette, that bitch. I love her. Pretty sure that's how she's listed in SAG. Fuck you, Tony Collette. Collette. Um, We've got Mandy Patinkin as Burrs. We have Eartha Kitt playing the role of Dolores. We have Mark Kudish, uh, Tanya Pinkins is Kate. 
Norm Lewis, Michael McElroy. Uh, let's see who else we've got as, as far as like incredibly recognizable. Well, I, I wouldn't want to say that your favorite it was is not a recognizable name. The I would say well-renowned Sally no. Murphy. Yes, Sally Murphy. Yes, your, well, your, your so love. She was. She's. I would argue she was probably more recognizable then when the show sure. came out. Because she was almost fresh off of Carousel. It was only a couple yeah, years Yeah, it after. was only a couple years after Carousel. So she was still like a person. Yeah. Um, She's and, still and, a person, but at the and time. Rounding out, and rounding out the cast, we've got, we have Nathan Lee Graham, who I love. Uh, we have Adam Grouper. Stuart Zagnett played his partner. And uh, we had Brooke Sunny Moriber, who was um, almost fresh off of Parade at that point. Parade in the and the Dead. She was fresh off of both of those. Uh, and, well, and then and then lastly, uh, Jane Summerhays, who... Amazing. Tony nominee for Me and My Girl. Some of you might know her as the woman who blows a finance guy under the table on season three of Sex and the City. Right. Which oh, and I, I, I'd be remiss. I'm sorry. I didn't mention, mention uh, Yancy Arias, who plays Black. And who most and people also, would recognize from television, not from... Yes, mostly television. And then Leia Hawking, who is also a big oh, yeah. Broadway... Oh, my God. How Broadway forget Leia Hawking? So, like, everyone on this podcast knows my love of Sally Murphy. My only complaint about her role in this wild party is you have her, and she has one line of dialogue, and that bitch does dialogue like nobody's business, and I'm pissed that she only has one line. But she sings. She sings, song. she sings a little bit. She doesn't sing until the second half, which is like, know when you have an ace up your sleeve and you're going to use that ace for the second half. But Sure. So let's go into uh, both versions. Yeah. Uh, we Let's start with Lippa's because that's what technically opened first. Yeah. And if he's to be believed, he started writing it first. Uh, both shows have the same title for the opening number and same opening lyrics, but Lippa's, we have this sort of bluesy, jazzy opening prologue called mm-hmm. Queenie Was a Blonde. And I would say like 70% of the lyrics in this are from the poem. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. 60. It, it starts to change once he gets into revealing burrs. But it is all third person where Queenie's singing about herself and the chorus is singing about her. Andrew Lippo really loves the lyric, her legs were built to drive men mad. He really kind of emphasizes that over and over again. And it's truly, it's, it, is a, it is a true, tried and true kind of opening number. It introduces our two main characters and gives a backstory of how they met and why they're connected. So that way we understand for the rest of the show why they're continually tied to each other. And it will, and it makes it very clear that their relationship is entirely built around their sexual chemistry. Yes. Queenie was a blonde and her age stood still she danced twice a day in vaudeville queenie was a blonde and if looks could kill she would kill twice a day in vaudeville she had gray eyes lips like coals aglow and her face was a tinted mask of snow with those shoulders what a back she had her legs were built to drive and I mean, if I'm being, if I'm putting my opinion in there, I think it's a little overly simplified of this kind of situation. But Lippa tries to give this idea that Burrs, who we are told is mean and violent and aggressive, doesn't actually want to be that way. It's because he can't find. Oh God, I can't believe I have to say these words because I hate it so much. Like he hasn't found the right girl. And I'm like, ugh. Um, 
Yeah, it's it sort of it sort of defends his violent nature. Well, yeah, there's literally the line he didn't want to be bad, and this is making it sound like I'm already trying to set up the lip version of fail. I'm not. It's just I it the it's one of those things where like the intention is right. You're trying to give us a reason to want to watch these characters. Mm-hmm. It's it's just one of those things where I'm like it that's mm, mm. but. In the grand scheme of musical theater writing, Lip is doing what he's supposed to be doing, which is he is setting the scene for our two main characters and give and giving us, or attempting to give us a reason to want to watch them. And we're we're not going to go like super in depth as we go through each show, but we do want to kind of hit some major beats because there are some things that both versions do, not not the same, but they like certain scenes or plot points or character moments that eat, that both versions hit on. So we want to make sure that we acknowledge those moments as we talk about them. Right. Um, yes. So the apartment, uh, do you want to take this one away? Just in terms of what the scene is? Yeah, what the scene is, what it does. Um, yeah. The, I, I mean, the apartment scene sets up ultimately why the party happens. Um, it's a... It's a it's a hot morning. The two of them are both getting up. I, I think presumably from performing the night before, so they're both hungover, and and hot. And they, Queenie's kind of kind of whiny and needy, mm-hmm. and it and it pisses Burrs off. He's easily pissed off, and ultimately calls her lazy, a lazy slut. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two of them have a tussle, and he's about to hit her, and she pulls a knife on him, and the and we sort of introspectively go into queenie's mind of uh it's effectively her i want song of wanting to get out of there and and find a new life which in this version is called out of the blue Mm is the song we go into uh which which leads us into their decision to have the party in this particular version it's Queenie's decision to have the party. She decides to have it more than anything out of a re- as a revenge on Burrs to make him jealous and maybe uh, rekindle their relationship and his affections for her. Out of the blue, your choices now are growing new. Today is what you make and how you make it. The step is yours to take, but can you I think a lot of the songs in the Lipa version are technically very well structured and well written on a level of what makes a song work. Uh, it's why so many of them work out of context. Right. And like when you see them in a concert version or whatever. Uh, out of the Blue musically for me is perhaps one of my favorite songs in the show. I also just, I do love the motif when she brings up the idea of the party to Burrs. It's the do, 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 do. I think we're due for a party, don't you? Don't you? Because it has this sort of, energy about it that is full of promise and danger and like mm-hmm. a little bit of sex um my that, only that, that, my that good old plotting music mm-hmm. my she, own... she's making she's making a plan <laughs> it's truly plotting music it's plotting music yeah because she's it's not even like she's wandering the apartment she's like slinking over like i have an idea it's that like rubbing your chin like mm, yeah but this music. is this is the wild party so it's rubbing your nips <laughs> One hand, one hand on your chin, one hand on the left nip. <laughs> I'm sorry, is that not how everyone else thinks? <laughs> so we go from out of the blue into, um, what's it called? And the gang, oh no, what a party. It's called what a party, what a which, party. Mm-hmm. which is bringing all the guests in. 
and it maintains the Greek chorus third person like narration of what's happening and brings in all the guests of the party and we're told about Eddie and May who's a boxer and she's his girlfriend uh Madeline True who's a stripper uh, a and les- no, sorry oh sorry in this version les- she's not a stripper she's a lesbian that's her uh, profession. She's yeah. just, she's a professional <laughs> lesbian. Professional lesbian. <laughs> and they dress Alex Corey in a full-blown tuxedo. The brothers Darmano, who are pianists, <clears throat> composers. Uh, then J- they're, uh, they're, they're brothers in the biblical sense. Yes, yes. And it is unclear in both versions, in both the poem and in the different musical versions, if they're actually brothers or if they are lovers who are presenting as brothers professionally so there's no question as to why they're always together i had sort of always assumed that it was that that it was a like a stage moniker and that they were just a, a duo yeah um which i mean it also makes sense there's something very you know like seedy about them though being twin gay brothers who are into each other you know i mean yes it's, Listen, Pornhub has said that incest is like the number one researched word on their search function. So clearly people are thinking it. So uh, we go into what a party and everyone mm-hmm. shows up. They have Nadine, a minor, and everyone goes, ooh, which is, a, you know, gets a laugh from the audience, which tells you a lot about the different perspectives of and these two. roll from me, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and then we go into Queenie's entrance in the party and her sort of welcoming of everyone to it which mm-hmm. is the song raise the roof um i will say what a party and i told you this when we were texting as i was listening to it in a lot of ways you're in town has ruined a lot of musical theater for me because <laughs> i can't now listen to what a party and not think of like snuff that girl it's like and the mm. gang took bam yeah. And all I'm thinking is like the group of uh, working class people in Urine Town. Yeah. That's all I can think of. Urine yeah. has ruined that for me. <laughs> By this point, we've now had like jazz, we've had old school musical theater, we've had pop, we've had rock. Like the Lipa version is very um, a melting pot of various genres. He, I mean, he, he definitely enjoys a Latin beat. Who doesn't? Him and him and David Yazbek living for the Latin beats. Listen, I'm for. Her name is her name is Valentina, and her eyebrows are beautiful. Don't just call her a Latin beat. (laughs) She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. She looks like Linda. Linda Evangelista. Evangelista. She stoned those tights herself. So. We go into we go into raise the roof, which is plot wise, it's just welcoming everyone to the party, and it is very belty, belty, belty. it actually, it's not on the cast recording, but it actually has one of my favorite jokes in the in the musical. And I don't mean this nastily. Like, I actually think it's quite funny. When they she asks Madeline how she's feeling, she goes, I'm hungry. And she means that in every sense of the word. And they go, right. well, there's lots of, lots of men, uh, lots of food and lots of women. And Queenie goes, where else can you find that in one place? And there's a beat and Madeline, and Madeline True goes, prison. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a genuinely funny joke. It is funny. We then go into a little piece where like the party's starting to happen. It's not on the album, but there's a there's an element 
of the show that they really try to hit home just how desirable Queenie is, how she is like the goddess divine, which I think is unfair to any woman who plays Queenie because audiences are going to sit there and judging her from their perspective of like, well, is she a goddess? I don't know. Right. And it object it objectifies the actress when it's supposed to be talking about Queenie. And I think that's an unfair advantage. Just, I just want to put that out there right now. It's something that's always bothered me. <laughs> I, can it's, I can see that. It's something that's in a lot of other shows where it's like everyone on stage is desiring this one woman so hard and makes audiences go like, well, it's not my aesthetic. She's not that much of a goddess. It's like, don't blame the actress for playing the role. Like, this is a talented, beautiful woman. It's not her right. fault that the character is being described as like lusted after by every single person who's ever walked the earth. Well, but you know, I mean, to be fair, Cheetah Rivera in Kiss of the Spider Woman doing Gimme Love and all of these men lusting after her. And I love Cheetah Rivera and I think she's gorgeous, but she's not conventionally beautiful. But no. she radiates sex appeal and is... Yes, but that's... As a performer, if you can bring it, Anybody can believe you're sexy. Absolutely. But also, then you have the double standard of Cheetah Rivera was a legend when she did Kiss of the Spider-Woman. So there was already that aura of, of course, you're going to lust after her. She's Cheetah Rivera. But if an unknown were to do that role, that audience would be like, I don't know. Is she that beautiful? It's that that double-edged sword (laughs) that's really unfair. Um, And I bring it up because right before we go into the next song that's on the cast recording, there's a moment that you can find on video where... Queenie is walking around the party like which man am I gonna maybe suck off tonight and she puts her hand on one guy's head and he shoots up the octave in musical ecstasy oh right there who is that um I don't even know but he's this man is this this video does exist on YouTube if you look it up um it's it's listed as Dina Menzel's look at me now because that's Mm -hmm. the song it's leading into but this whoever this performer is I'm sorry I don't know your name if you're even listening to this Erasure. Inc- His name is now Erasure. Inc- incredible voice. Yeah, he he has a vocal moment of just pure ecstasy that's mm-hmm. up in the stratosphere of, of male voices, which is very much in the Stephen Aramis wheelhouse of just pushing the vocals as high as they can go. It's, yep. it's incredibly impressive. It's like, I think you've got one more step in you. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, so it goes goes very high up. And then we go straight into the entrance of Best Friend Kate in this version played by Adina Menzel. Right. And it is her um, introductory song called Look At Me Now. To go on a slight tangent, it's one of those songs that you wouldn't want to sing in an audition because I think, didn't we all learn that you never want to do a song where the people behind the table can answer that question or respond to you if you're not good at it? <laughs> When you're, when, when, like, like you don't want to be like, I'm the greatest star and have that gay behind the table be like, oh no, bitch, you are not. But that is why I, that is the other end of my whole, when you write a role that's all like, I'm the sexiest thing that's ever walked the earth, look how everyone lusts after me. The audience is like, I don't know, you're not that sexy. Like, right. r- like rude, fucking rude. Right. Um, so anyway, yes, uh, look at me now. And we have Kate introduce uh, black to Queenie and then goes into a quartet called Poor Child where Black uh, basically it's very like operatic melodramatic in a sense because it's one of those things where each character that sings in the quartet has a different thought but it's all sort of overlaps. You have Black who's seeing Queenie and sees the broken child inside oh, underneath the hard exterior Queenie, who is her doing her inner monologue, that's very chorus line one, where she's like, look down, look up, shoulder glance, look over at birds, look back at black, that kind of thing. Uh, 
and then Kate who's like, I'm gonna go get me some Burrs. Fuck you, Queenie. And then Burrs who's like, look at Queenie, less enough for black, which it's Tay Diggs, how can you not? Uh, and that's, but that's basically the song. It's very melodic and musically very satisfying, especially when you have really great singers. have a nice little detour for our token lesbian right uh which i just want to bring up quickly it's just madeline the lesbian looking around the party looking for a woman to be with and it's a comedic number uh where is that good natured old-fashioned lesbian love story the kind that my mama used to tell yeah and it's and and it has a very um decidedly it's it's clearly very influenced by vile and candor and ebb and it's kind of it's kind of like uh, I don't know the chorus the chorus bits kind of remind me of like Mary Sunshine from Chicago. Yeah, very much that. And then the op- and then the the verses remind me more of like Fräulein Schneider from Cabaret. It sort of goes back and forth. <laughs> yes, yes. But, it, but it's very it's clearly very influenced. And the by intro and the intro the is very overture to Chicago. It's that. It's, right, uh, but it goes into that vile vamp. But that's all, that's all. Moving on, nothing happens. It's just Madeline gets a moment and we never hear from her ever again. Right. Um, then we go back to our Greek chorus with by now the moon, room was moving and it's just another you're in town. By now the room was moving. We're the Greek chorus today. Right. All snapping. <laughs> and the party, well, and so, so to scoot along a little bit, just because- yeah, Go for it, go for well, it. Well, I was just going to say, you know, the, the party sort of- Get, keeps itself going. Queenie and Burrs sort of throughout the evening continue to have little moments where they're aside moments with each other where threats are made regarding the attra- the attraction between one person and another. Mm-hmm. Um, in this version, Kate is trying to rekindle a flame with Burrs that apparently once existed. Yes. So so we sort of have this, this push and pull over the course of the evening, uh, which ultimately leads to uh, what was the song you were wanting to bring up? Um, that's that's sort of a parallel. Well, so we go from we go into Juggernaut, which is just a number uh, about the party, and then into a Wild Wild Party, which is we don't really need to go into it. It's a production number where everybody in the party does a number that is. Uh, it's being a gospel workshop. number. It's a gospel number from a fictional musical that the brothers Darmano are working on. We sort of get deeper into the party in Queenie and Queen uh, and. Black have stepped aside for a little bit and we sort of get a little introspective on where she is in their relationship and and I don't know, I guess she's trying to explain to Burrs not Black. Burrs, she's, thank you hmm. she's trying to explain to, to Black or convince, I think convince herself, it's kind of a lie of a song mm-hmm. where she's trying to convince herself that she is happy where she is, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of a silent plea to him to get her out of there. Maybe I like it this way. Yeah. yeah. It is. It's. I'm still not entirely convinced what the motive of the song is. It is a little bit of what's the use of wondering meets. Uh, I as don't long know. as he needs me. Yeah. I would actually argue it's a little more as long as he needs me than it is. What's the use of wondering. It is a little bit of like a declaration of, you know, I, I'm happy with this lot because there's so much about this situation that I love. 
um, and I'm willing to take the bad. And it's sort of like Queenie acknowledges the danger that's there, but also like the danger is kind of what excites her. But you, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I truly don't know. I think, you, I think the, me, what makes the song so meaty is you can truly play it either way. You can play it as earnest and like uh, de- declarative, or you can play it ambivalent and sort of like I'm hiding how I truly feel with this mask of confidence. Maybe tomorrow it comes crashing down. Maybe next week I'll find another clown. Maybe I'll turn it my different way. So the party sort of reaches a climax where everybody's incredibly wasted and yeah. falling asleep on top of each other, essentially. Yes. Um, and which gets us to a song that I know you wanted to talk about, which is yeah. uh, The Life of the Party, which is sung yes. by Kate. Yes. So act one ends and act two opens with Kate on stage, sort of like frozen in time. And it is a very Sally Bowles, Life is a Cabaret old chum. And it, the song is called Life of the Party and it's perhaps the most famous song from the show and is like the number one go-to for your high belting power girl in school for class, for concerts, for auditions, because it is a really musically sound song. It is structured really well. Once again, like Andrew Lippa has an ear for earworms. He's got a gift for earworms and he, and he really knows how to structure a song so that way it builds the proper climax. Right. Well, and I think and we, we I think we ultimately came to the the decision or the agreement the last time we were talking about this that the song ultimately the best word to describe it is satisfying. Yes. But it's sort of the theme of the show in a lot of ways or at least the theme that a lot of the characters fall into with this version of Wild Party which is like it's going to end at some point. So you might as well be at the center of it all, living it up and having all eyes be on you. Don't you want to land the roll of a lifetime? Well, you better get down on one knee. Cause you could play the life of the party if you can pray with me. Uh, but that is the gist of the song. And I only wanted to bring it up because there's a parallel to it from a different character at a different point in the Lacusa version. So moving along, uh, plot-wise, things are kind of uh, getting hotter and more intimate with Black and Queenie, and Burrs is slowly starting to fall apart. And Burrs is like, I want this party to end, asks Queenie to call it off, um, and she basically says, like, no, we're not ending this party, it'll never end. Like, it's the, it, it's basically, dramatically speaking, Burrs has a match in his hand. And is, or or rather like, I rather should say, Burrs has accidentally spilled gasoline or intentionally spilled gasoline and has said to Queenie, let's get out of this room. And Queenie instead strikes a match. Um, I think that's, I think that's a great analogy. Yes. Thank you. I mean, some people say I'm smart, but, uh, which goes into Burrs' big breakdown number, which is uh, called Let Me Drown. And it is... How would you describe this song? Well, I think if you told me that it was a breakdown number, I'd be surprised. Yes. It's a, it's a song. It, it has 
it's, I guess I would say it's another song that sort of has a gospel influence to it. Yeah, it's it's sort of an odd, upbeat breakdown. Well, it, there's, a, there's a sinisterness about it, but it never actually feels dangerous, if that makes sense. Yes, um, Especially because the entire cast, minus Queenie and Black, obviously join him. Mm-hmm. So there's, I think it's more scary to see someone break down alone because you don't, because and have no one be aware of it. Yeah. Then you're like, well, what's going to happen? What What's he going to do, or what's she going to do? But to have a whole company sort of see this happen and mm-hmm. think, well, we'll join in anyway. It's like either it becomes like um, the Wicker Man, where it just becomes this giant cult behind a bonf- around a bonfire with bees, or it's like, well, it can't be that serious. Everyone is seeing him act this way and is like joining in. It's like, oh, the fun. Uh, yeah, I'm just thinking of Nicolas Cage playing Burrs. Let me drown this evening. Let me drown. If I'm low, let me slowly paint the town. When they ask for the roof, let me answer hundred proof. Let me drown, 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 drown. So, Queenie and Black then have their mating ritual song called Come With Me, which has a really great beginning. Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's a two and a half minute song that should be 45 seconds. Yes. It has a couple, and I know this is analytical. We're not like just sort of going through the show, but it has a lot of metaphors that make no sense to me. Um, like an actor on a stage, I'm howling. Like an eagle in the sky, I'm screaming. I'm like, I'm not, is that like a term for an eagle in the sky? screaming or does she mean like the hawking cry that an eagle makes i don't know yeah i I don't know like a seed dropped by a skybird in a distant wood i don't know i mean how dare you that is a metaphor for the economy and (laughs) oh my god shut up (laughs) (laughs) oh we're not even going no stop okay Listen, we had a good thing going. Um, let's, let's get to the end of this. Yeah, let's get to story. the end of this fucking show. We're getting to the end. We're getting to the end. We're getting close, but we have a whole other wild party to get through. Well, the good news is, once we've explained the basic plot of everything, this the second version of explaining the Lacusa one is not going to take as long. Everybody, no, because we're just going to really barrel through. Um, and then they have sex. They sing "Come with Me," which leads them into the bed. And Queen, then they Queen have and sex. Black have sex. Yeah, Queen say. and Black have sex. Queen and Black have sex. Come, come with me is their song that leads them to the bed. They have sex. Burrs comes in. And with a gun and threatens both of them with it in a violent rage, which leads to the song Make Me Happy, which musically is really glorious. But every time I watched it and even when I was in it, I was like, this is a five minute song. And there's a gun on stage. Like, it's just, it doesn't, I don't know. It's a moment of tension that would not, that should not last that long. Yes. I have no problem with the song being there and not even that song. It's just about, I think, and same thing with Come With Me, where I'm like, this needs to get tighter. Sure. Um, and the same thing is also true, and, and we'll get this with Lacusa, like there, there being an intermission in Wild Party. It's just very, it is very traditionally structured. And you have to ask yourself, does this traditional structure help the plot or lack thereof in any way? Right. Um, but yeah, so Make Me Happy happens, which leads to a reprise of Life of the Party, which, you know, once and once again, reinforces the underlying theme with a lot of these characters. The gun gets shot, Burrs dies, Black goes on the lamb, and Queenie sings, how did we all come to this? And it is this sort of like, come to Jesus moment for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. It's also like a diva worship moment because it's everything on stage is quiet. 
Julia Murney comes to the edge of the stage, crosses her legs, tears running down her face. And she's like, I'm hydrated. My nasal passages are cleared from all the crying. And now I'm going to sing to you. So it's a little bit of both. <laughs> right. And it, and, it, and it sort of, and so to get to the, the end of it all, she sort of uses this song as a moment to revisit her thoughts of wanting to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And she puts on her coat and she walks out the door. End of show. Moving that on. Jazz. Boom. That jazz. Boom. Now, Michael John Lacuses. Yeah. Same opening number. Queenie was a blonde, but it does right. not open with our bluesy, bluesy, bluesy blues. No, no, no. How do we open, baby? We're we we're getting blasted. It's a chord that's used multiple times uh, throughout the course of the show as a as sort of a, a theme of, I guess it's it's used anytime to to, to sting a, a dangerous moment really yes. within the within the show. Queenie was a blonde and her age stood still and she danced twice a day in the vaudeville. Gray eyes, lips like coals aglow. Her was a tinted mask of snow. There's yeah. a lot of Sondheim in this. Um, this is, yes. Um, so, to, so this opening number is decidedly um, a grindy burlesque number. Yes. Um, you, you used the term last time and I want to bring it up again. I, I well, I, well, I, I, no, I said we'll get all... to, no, we'll get to that one in a second, but for okay. in terms of the music, oh, yeah. describe it as an angry jazz. It's angry jazz. And I think that is very uh, heavily realized in the opening number with not only that harsh chord, but then the drums leading into the scale into mm-hmm. the opening number. Yeah. It is this, it's hot and it's heated and it's muggy. It's very like, it's you almost can sort of sense the mugginess of New Orleans, right? Of just like <laughs> being outside and it's a... It's Dang. sweaty jazz. Yeah, sweaty jazz. I know we're not really comparing and contrasting, but just I think at this point, since we've said the story, we can yeah. easily just say what some differences are. So the um, so the opening number, Queenie was a blonde, is very decidedly specifically about Queenie. Mm-hmm. We don't explore the the meeting of her and Burrs and what their relationship is necessarily. It's it's really just about her, her her looks, her her demeanor and uh-huh. her sexuality. Lyrically, it's very slim. It goes off of the, the the poem as well. And it's very similar to the introduction that we get in the Lippo one, but it, it, the, its focus is much more pinpointed. Yes. And so while there is a moment where they do highlight the line, uh, her legs were built to drive men mad, the first lyric that is really highlighted and it's important because it serves the theme of the show, her face was a tinted mask of snow. That is the first lyric that really gets like a punch in the music. 
And that is important to remember when we come back to analyzing this in part two. Right. Uh, we also see Queenie do vaudeville in this number where we don't- right. she's doing a striptease in this striptease, opening. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, it's very simple. Like this is Queenie, this is who she was, this is what she was about, what she liked and what right. people thought of her. And then we move on into a song called Marie is Tricky, which introduces Burrs. And as opposed to the poem and the Lipa version where Burrs is a like red nosed clown, in the Lacusa Wolf version, it is decided that Burrs is a clown who does blackface, like Al Jolson. Right, he's a blackface comedian. Yes. Uh, and that is also very important because race is a very major theme in this version of Wild Party. Mm-hmm. And and masks in particular, facade. If Queenie's wearing a tinted mask of snow, Burrs comes out in a veil of opposite. black. A literal opposite, veil of black. We go into the apartment that they live in. We see their kerfuffle um right well and it's and this whole scene because we were talking about the, how this opening is there's mm-hmm. there's a lot less development of who they are within uh-huh. this opening it's it's all very it's sort of black and white <laughs> let's let's stick with this theme of black and white shall we um but it is a sort of black and white there you know they're they're a couple they fight a lot it's we we see the fight where she where they uh, she pulls the knife on him uh-huh. and the instigator for the party in this version rather than her wanting to make burrs angry we sort of flip the table where at least at face value burrs approaches her with having the party as a way to make it up to her for being a dick put out the news we got a party put out the word and go and order the ice we sure could use a little fun lover when was the last time i wore my new when was the last time we had a real party Red and wicked best time fun which yes. leads into the parade of guests mm-hmm. which similarly to the the lipa one it, but in this version we we see everyone all at once yes um par- parading across the stage uh we're introduced to everybody uh by burrs who sort of introduces everyone to the front in the audience directly yes these characters on stage like they are acts in the vaudeville almost like this act that we're going to present later Um, right um and and which is a song called dry uh which leads us into the actual apartment at that point where we see queenie who does the the song which is literally welcome to my party yeah whereas raise the roof is sort of queenie riling up everyone together and it's a group number welcome to my party is decidedly queenie singing and it's right all about her and it has a i would say it has a more frantic energy about it because there as we mentioned before one of the themes of the show is like the masks we all wear in society and mm-hmm. in this particular wild party that also translates to um all these characters are in desperate needs and wants of something, mm. whether it's a person to love, whether it's to be accepted, whether it's to find happiness or excitement. And Queenie at this point in the show is very much desiring to find her next high, her next kick. And so there is a very driven, frantic energy to welcome to my party. And it's She's... a very shallow kind of like, I'm the amazing sexual hostess. Hello, hello, hello. Right, she's, she's determined to have a good time. Yes. I gotta get my engine smoking. I need a bed and God, I need it more. I need a lot of friendly stroking. There ain't no heaven and there ain't no hell, no turning back. Daddy, lock the door. 
after that, she sort of is working the room, and you see how each person reacts differently to her. We also are given a more fleshed out perception of the guests already, uh, just based off of little pieces of dialogue and music. Right. The character that Eartha Kitt plays is a character that is only briefly mentioned in the musical of Lippa's uh, Dolores, uh, who in the musical with Lippa is called a hooker. And in the Lacusa one, she is a former actress of stage who in, was renowned in some regard. Uh, how famous yet to be determined and but, because but age got in the way yes, because because of how society treats women specifically women of a certain age and women of color she has three strikes against her so she's gone to a point where it doesn't matter how talented or determined or beautiful she is she has a million obstacles in her way so she's come to this party everyone who comes to this party has their own objective and her objective is to come to this party with a job uh, because the, everyone in, everyone who's at this party is in the industry in some way, whether they're a performer, they're producers, there are two producers who come to this party and Dolores basically sets sights on them from the word go and sinks her claws into them. You're looking at a woman who invented the walk. You know the walk, I invented that. You're looking at a female who has driven men to homicide. How must you ask? Look at these beautiful legs. These legs were built to drive men mad. Would you like to die? So, so Eddie and May have a song in this version, mm -hmm. um, similar to Two of a Kind, but a little more, uh, a little less cute. Yes. A little more about their uh, their actual problems that they're running into yes. where where may used to be in the chorus with uh with kate and queenie but now she's decided to go domestic and she's fat and she's unhappy that she's yes living at home and and not getting to she she's she's trying to convince herself that she loves being a supporter of her husband who's a boxer yes but she ultimately misses getting to be with her friends and perform who, who is a black boxer by the way and right. uh Call and is called the champ and the golden boy. And it's interesting in this song is whereas in two of a kind, they're singing together and like sort of performing for the group in Eddie and may, they are singing to two separate groups of people about each other. And it's, they are separated in their verses and then they come together towards the end. And it's really not until the very, very end of the song that they're actually in sync. Cause right. they do like that Eddie and may Eddie and may, and they're kind of like slightly off of each other. Mm -hmm. And then the final Eddie and may they're actually in sync. And it's kind of this interesting foreshadowing of how not completely on the same page they actually are with each other. Um, yeah, that, and that in the very and Mingo's in the, role. Yes, and in the Lacusa version, Nadine the minor is May's sister, which is true of also the poem. Right. Uh, whereas in the Lippa version, you don't really know why she's there. You don't know who invited her, what she's what she's got to do with anything. She's also not really a part. I think she's got like two lines in the Lippa version. She has if a song. That, yeah, in the Lacusa one. version, you know, she's annoying, but she's sort of meant to be annoying when she like Queenie yeah. comes out and is being fabulous, or is or what Nadine thinks fabulous is. Right. And she sings her little like 16 bars. I was born to see the lights of Broadway. And Queenie literally goes, um, what's this? Yeah. It's really fucking funny. Uh, and so we continue on with our characters. We meet Madeline, we meet Jackie, who is Ambie Sextras, played by Mark Kudish. Uh, the, the brothers Germano, who fulfill the same purpose in this version, essentially. Yes. Uh, and ultimately, yeah. So ultimately we finally get to Kate arriving with, uh, with Mr. Black. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and their and Queenie and Black's sort of immediate connection in this version. Yes. Um, which leads us to their their flirtation in this show takes a lot more time. Yes. It is an attraction that is not subtle, but their their sexual and romantic draw to each other is not so obvious if that makes sense they are they both because they both are masters of the sexual con they don't show their hands to each other for a very long time they've they've found their match in each other essentially yes. um there's also so whereas lipa's version kate's introductory song is all about her and lacusa's it's about kate and queenie's relationship which is important because the relationship in the lacusa version between these two is much different whereas in lipa's it's like you know they're friends, they've known each other, but like Kate's ulterior motives are to get to Burr's. Whereas in this one, these are truly soul sisters who like, they hate each other because they love each other because they've known each other. Um, right. And it's, it's, a, it's a total bosom buddies kind of song. Absolutely. Uh, best friend and it, it has such great stuff going on in it. And it's the un- underlying connection there is one of love and because kate is in a is more successful in a lot of ways she has more money she is more famous one of my favorite lines in the show is when she enters with her black dress shoes and mr black and one of the brothers darmano says you know you're a star when the shoes the dress and the man all match and it's a great line it's a great oh, there's so many great lines in it uh queenie and when delores says queenie my dear you look absolutely delectable like a piece of puff pastry someone has taken a bite out of and queenie says oh delores why don't you do the same and bite me mm-hmm. it's I just, I just george c wolf knows how to write fucking dialogue a lot of a lot of catty sassy cunty dialogue absolutely and it's, it's very satisfying it's 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 all like straight out of campy drag performances. And it's, it is, it's the kind it's of dialogue so that Charles Bush has made a living off of by like imitating in a lot of ways. Completely. And George C. Wolf walks that fine line of campy vampiness about it, but also it being earnest because it's also stylized. And right. George C. Wolf's just a fucking poet. Right. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, Adam and I love George C. Wolf. We are very much into him. Yeah, so we go from best friend into taboo, which then leads to Black on the bal- on the fire escape with Queenie, and it's their first solo interaction together. Um, and he would he? Were we, we talking about uh, low down down? No, it's it's first taking care of the ladies, where he like gives oh, her right. what's called the pitch, where he's you know, or the, the the mooch, I think it's called the mooch. Oh yeah, and they're not they they haven't left the apartment yet. Oh, I thought they were on the fire escape. They don't. No, they don't go outside until. Uh, until people like us. Until Got people it. like us. Okay. So yeah, they're so they're in some corner of the apartment, mm. um, and he's giving her his mooch because they, it's a playful thing. She's like, "Show me what you do," like because it's very clear that he's an escort, that he is Kate's escort, um, and the, that she basically owns him. And right. Kate allows him to play with Queenie. She can tell that he's interested in Queenie. She can tell Queenie's interested in him. And Kate's ulterior motives in this party are actually more for Queenie's benefit than for Burr's benefit. Uh, and it's a more, whereas I would say Kate's objective in the Lipa version is very clear cut. Like she wants to steal Burr's away. Right. The Lacusa one, it's a little more messy. You're not always entirely sure what she's up to or why she's up to it, but it's- No, and their relationship is purely almost fetishized for her because she 
she gets off on the fact that she's the one who can afford everything and he needs her. Yes. As opposed well, to the other way around. Oh, I'm not even talking about Black. I'm talking about uh, Kate with Queenie. But yes, that is true with Black as well. Yes. Um, it is more of a friendly relationship with Black in the Lippa one. Uh, yes. Whereas in Lacusa, they have a history and she gets off on providing for him and making him her houseboy. Mm-hmm. But her ulterior motives for the party align more for Queenie's benefit than for Burr's benefit. She's when she's trying you find we'll get so we'll get to the end we'll get to that at the end um but so yes black and queenie have their moment uh we come back to the party similar to the um the the moment in the the lipa version the uh maybe i like it this way which is for queenie in this version low down down yes where we sort of get a backstory vague but just sort of about um, her being a small town, like living the American dream, essentially, where she, small town girl who comes to New York and gets beaten up and knocked down and is sort of decidedly stayed where she is mm-hmm. for the moment. Um, so it, in a lot of ways, it is very much, maybe I like it this way, but it's, um, I don't know, what's what would you see as the difference? It is not a declaration, but rather sort of like this, it's the, you almost kind of realize that Queenie is tired. She's, the reason why she has been with Burrs is for two reasons. One is that over many years of growing a skin and telling herself that these are the things that she likes because these are just the things that happened to her. She also is just too exhausted to leave because like she's worked so hard to just survive and be where she's at. Right. She she sort of just gets to the point where she says it is what it is. Yeah, like I like I've kicked and screamed my way to this moment and this is still as far as I got. Like it's I can't yeah. I mean it's a preface to ultimately her her final song, which I know we'll get to where mm-hmm. which is which is called This Is What It Is. Yeah. And I it's because Low Down Down sort of ex- explores her inability to explore feeling anything, whereas yeah. This Is What It Is explores her moment to go deep into everything that she's feeling. Yes. Well, that's a lucky break. I steal what I can take and I roll. And I plead. And I duck. Oh, hey. And I bleed. Some are born to rise above sleepless And it goes, and that leads us to a breaking point with Burrs, where he introduces hard gin, bathtub gin, and many more drugs to the party. And it's the moment when all the facades of everyone who's showed up to this party crumbles down in a brilliant masterfuck of a musical theater montage called Gin Slash Wild. Every claw comes out, every bite happens, and violence and sex just goes all over the place. May lets out that she knows that Eddie cheats on her. And one of my favorite lines of the entire show. Yep. She goes, um, you've seen more ass than a toilet seat. And I bet you make them all call you the champ. So good. And it, and and it culminates in the two of them fighting and her slapping him and him knocking her, knocking her down to the floor. And on top of all of that, uh, you have Dolores who informs Queenie of Burr's past. You see this moment where she says, you know, Burr's was once married to a girl, beat her with the heel of his shoe till her lips turned blue. And that sticks with Queenie for the rest of the night. Right. And you see that Kate's trying to get Queenie away from Burr's all like now and really trying to get her out of this toxic relationship, which has another great line that Adam and I love, which is when Queenie turns to Kate and says, will you get my life out of your mouth, Kate? It's none of your goddamn business. 
amazing. Poems. Poetry. Don't you mess with my party. You can't take away what's mine. Don't you know it's my party time for the devil to rise and shine. Don't you make my night sober. Don't you tell me I can't get high. Don't you let me go dry. Don't you know that I gotta keep my, 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 my party. Why? We have Black is a Moocher, which is, uh, which, which leads, which is when everybody sort of goes into their, their massive orgy moment. Which yes. Is, Directly after um, Gin Wild, yes. and that's when that's when Queenie and uh, Black take the moment to escape and go out to the fireplace, the fire escape, to yeah. um, to sort of have a quiet moment together. And they sing a wonderful song called "People Like Us," and it's really the moment where both of their facades come down completely. It's and the most contemporary song of the show. It's yes. it's very rock ballady. Yes, and which isn't to say that like it's. Rocky That's not rock, a negative comment. No, and it's also, it's rock ballady compared to everything else in the score, which has been really into the era of the 1920s. People like us, we slip by through the cracks. We'll never be famous, so who's gonna care? Nobody needs us and everyone's had us. We're here but not here, we'll be there but not there. And where, where do we they're allowing their exhaustion to allow for honesty rather than for like complacency. Right. And ooh, I like ooh, I like that. Let me say that again. They're <laughs> allowing their exhaustion to give way to honesty rather than complacency. Mm, that's right up there with get your life out of my uh, get my life out of your mouth. Um, <laughs> and we get um, yes, I yes, I completely agree with you. Sorry. Yes, and that is, and then. After they sing People Like Us, we kind of jumped around with the plot there for a second, but after People True. Like Us, that's when Sally Murphy finally really does sing. She sings After Midnight Dies, and she says, everything's now coming out into the open, and every right. character then gets their moment of, like, sad truth. So, like, the angry truth came out during Gin Wild. Now the sad truth is coming out with right. everybody, which then right. leads to the rape, which leads to everybody going home, which leads to us finding out Sally Murphy's name's not even Sally. Right. And Queenie then has this violent attack with Burrs where basically they have this showdown. Uh, if you want to- Well, we have, but I was just going to say that before, before, at the end of that, it, Burrs make, it asks everyone to leave. Um, the remaining people at the party at this point are uh, Burrs and Queenie, Black, uh, Kate, and unbeknownst to anybody, <laughs> Dolores. Dolores, yeah. Um, but, uh, but Queenie and Kate have it out where Kate is really trying to keep Queenie safe and get her the fuck out of there and Queenie doesn't want to this is when we get will you keep my life out of your mouth it's none of your goddamn business no that uh, line's in Gin Wild not not in this confrontation yeah it also has um hey a, a couple of aspirin a couple of gin I'll be like brand new and sure. no I am sick of people telling me what to do right which, that line that line's not on the album and I wish it was right well so so we but we get we, we get Kate trying to to sway Queenie to get the fuck out of there one more time mm-hmm. and uh and Burr's coming at her from the other angle and um where she comes at him with the 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 um the backwards thread of you know what are you going to do beat me with the heel of your shoe and my lips turn blue mm-hmm. and which leads to his um to his breakdown in this version her well her to saying that the only way that uh, the only way that she's going to get out of their relationship is by seeing him dead so both queenie and black it's not as opposed to the Lipa version where they have sex with each other because they're like, this is it, this is the heat, this is the moment. Whereas in the Lacusa version, it's sort of like everyone around us is like rattling the cages and like let's let's just hole away to get away from it all, which is essentially right. what happens. And Burrs has his giant breakdown with how many women in the world, and he 
huge. Which is by all counts is a much scarier breakdown. Yes, because it's alone. It's in this pool of darkness. And he goes back to his trunk and put, starts to put on his black face. And then the stage goes to black. And after this like 10 minutes of just pure anxiety and dread, we have Eartha Kid coming out and cutting the tension with it out of the darkness. She goes, all right, who turned out all the lights? Yes. And... And the lights slowly come up on her and she sings what is essentially the Lacusa version of the life of the party, but Mm. it's from Dolores and it's towards the end of the night and it's called When It Ends. And the theme of this song is basically, whereas life of the party is like, it's all going to end one day. So don't you want to be there uh, as the center of it? And when it ends is basically like, you stupid privileged little girl, you think you're going to be alive when it ends? Like you don't like, Right. Unless you stand up for yourself, you're going to get buried. Yes, you're going to get buried and all the things that you thought matter don't matter. Um, Like, you're not going to have the person you love with you, the person you want to have sex with. You're not going to have your age. You're not going to have your beauty. And even once all that's taken away from you, there are still going to be things that can come at you that could knock you down. You don't know. Beauty won't matter and brains won't matter when the world falls apart one cold and It's privileged to not even question your presence, uh, your like um, existence, almost if that makes sense, or to like question if your existence will matter when it happens, or if you're going to be around when it happens. You know? Right. The the difference between it's it's all about me being in the middle of it versus the why do you think you're even going to be there in the first place? Yes, it's literally like Eartha Kit took life of the party and slapped it out of Adina Menzel's mouth. <laughs> And to be fair, like life of the party happens in a moment with Lippa's where not all of the shit has hit the fan yet. So you could argue that there's a reason why it is, why it's so kind of, I don't want to say flippant, but flippant. Uh, When it ends really is the culmination of all the crap that has fallen apart, but they both are kind of that. They both sort of represent the energy of their interpretations. Uh, And then Dolores walks out the door and survives another day. So what we've come to learn at this point as everything kind of culminates is that Kate brings Black to sort of jolt Queenie out of her toxic stupor with burrs. Basically, he, she basically brings Black along in the way that um, you see in a lot of like really trashy 80s and like kind of a little bit of showgirls too, that whole like, you know, what's a friend without, if she's not someone who's going to like send her gigolo over to fuck her best friend to, you know, get her out of her stupor. It's that kind of thing. Um, totally. So Kate brings Black to to either to seduce Queenie just so that way Queenie can sort of like remember what not toxic uh, mm-hmm. sexual heat is like. I would actually say you said showgirls. I would say that that is very much the vibe of Wild Party in terms of the type of people we're dealing with. Yes. 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 Like nobody really likable, but people that you kind of root for because they are. There's there's a quality about them that's yeah. enjoyable, but I mean, showgirls is there's a very fa- much that yeah. There's a fabulousness about their grossness, 
Right. And also just the sweaty disgustingness of the situation. Oh, absolutely. Well, like watching your boyfriend get a lap dance that you paid for, you know? Right. Uh, it's that kind of thing. And that's that I is can kind touch of, you, but you can't touch me. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing that like Kate is sort of doing with Queenie. But what's weird is that it's not even like a sexual thing she's getting off on. It's truly a friend trying to help a friend. And she's doing it in a way she knows will actually, you know, help Queenie. She's like, I can't just like send Queenie to, you know, AA. I have to bring a guy who will fuck her so good that she will know yeah, lure what she's in. Mm-hmm. And, which is, and so when she when she seduces Burrs, it's to distract Burrs while Queenie and Black have their moment. She's like, you know, Kate is smarter than a lot of people in that room. It's what she actually has a lot more in common with Dolores than Queenie does. Oh, I think it's I think it's safe to say that Kate and Dolores are the two smartest people at this particular party. Absolutely, uh, you don't. And it's, and Kate is played by Tanya Pinkins, who is also a, a black actress and. I, and it's, I think it was very intentional by Lacusa and Wolf to have these women play these roles and have the races be they were to say, for these women to survive and thrive in this time, mm-hmm. they had to have been smarter and tougher than everyone else around them. Uh, and which, which you see in the writing, you hear it in the writing. Anyway, so all this happens. We come to the final scene. Queenie and Black have had sex. Queenie is uh, singing, this is what it is. She's starting to feel... It's not like gushy because she's not like, I feel whole, but it's she's understanding what lightness is and actually what being happiness is. And well, uh, it's finally clicked for her that she needs to get out and get on. Yes. Like, move on. Yes. She, she's like, it's what it's like to be lost, but not in a way that is toxic. But it's, you know, it's a good kind of lost. And she has a little moment with Black, and we'll get to something that was actually cut when it finally opened on Broadway because they this wild party when it started previews was like a solid I think you said it was like two hours and 45 minutes with no intermission Something and they like that, yeah and over the course of a month they had to make like massive massive cuts to get they it ultimately slashed they ultimately slashed about 50 minutes out of it yeah and some of that also just comes down from down to tempo like when you listen to audio from the b-roll footage which is like towards the end of previews the tempos are a lot slower and then when you listen to it once it was closed when it was closing the tempos are a lot faster so there's a there's an energy and there's a heat that comes into it and that also works in the idea of it being this you know it's one whole night and it's the energy sort of riling up and up and up but it's a quiet moment out the end there's a bit of the scene that got cut that's now back in the script that we'll get to in part two mm-hmm. and then burr's uh, Black is about to take off Queenie's makeup, her mask of snow. And then mm-hmm. Burst comes in and his blackface interrupts the party and brings out a gun. And there's not even a kerfuffle. It's just two minutes of pure, like, ang- anxiety. Because whereas the Lipa version, it's a full-blown five-minute song of everyone's inner monologues in this moment. There is no real singing in this. There is music. There is tense underscoring. Right. But- while Burrs has the gun, it's just dialogue. And when you listen to the cast recording, you just hear Tony Coletta's Queenie crying and pleading. Cause like when there's a gun in your face and you know the person holding the gun is perfectly capable of shooting you, all you can do is beg. Right. All you can do is beg and plead. And you just and it's really it does not let you feel comfortable or even let you feel musically fulfilled. It's mm. just like, no, this is a very unsure moment but black seizes the gun and shoots burrs and then a giant chaos happens with everyone sort of coming back out and uh this is another moment from follies where it's almost like a regurgitation of everything we just saw right Uh, it's like the bile is finally coming out 
and it all cuts away and Queenie sings sort of a mini mashup reprise of Queenie's Queenie was a blonde mm-hmm. uh, in a vaudeville show. She hid what she was with a mask of snow and then sings a little bit of this is what it is. Uh, right. This is what it is to live in light. And right. Which, goes, which she had previously not finished in the first time that she actually sings the song. Yes. But the end of the show is, is having the light shed and her yes. removing her, her mask herself. She, she wipes her makeup off mm-hmm. and I guess sort of looks hopefully into the future. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, it, it says Queenie is bathed in morning light, scared, unsure, but hopeful. She smiles mm-hmm. at the dawn. And mm-hmm. whereas the Lipa version, Queenie ends by finally walking out the door in a big like Nora doll's house moment. This mm-hmm. is hopeful in the same way but it's not a defiant hopeful it's a finally living in what makes you uncomfortable and like growing from that moment onward kind of hopeful and the show is over tony collette is a broadway star and wins a theater world award and wins a tony oh wait a second no she didn't she lost a tony to heather headley who was wonderful in aida but i think about tony collette's performance and i didn't even see it live but i think about her performance maybe once a week well, and isn't it crazy that, I mean, I guess doing film is probably easier for someone's schedule, mm-hmm. but I mean, we could have had Tony Collette, the Broadway star. And I think if, I think if the wild party had been a better experience for her, mm-hmm. she probably would have done way more. Yeah. Yeah. I think now's a good time as any to take that break, uh, mm-hmm. that intermission and come back for part two, where we analyze the two now and uh, decide for once once and for all which is the better wild party all right shall we sounds good sounds good all right see you on a hot second Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.